Donna, if you could do roll, please. Trustee Avalado. Here. Trustee Banerjee is not here today. Trustee Shequin. Here. Trustee DeBrees. Here. And Trustee Peterson. Here. We have a quorum. Thank you. Uh, public comments? There are Parts, no. thank you. Uh, minutes? We'll Someone start we'll make a motion? I motion, I make a motion that we approve yeah, the minutes from the last meeting. Vacation just oh, uh, I second that. All those in favor? Aye. Okay. Um, let's go on to the finance report. Dan? Okay. Go. Am I too far? Oh. So I'm just click happy today. <laughs> All right. So, so we are going to go over the um, the May highlights, the forecast for FY19, and then the forecast for the 12 month rolling. So um, volume highlights. Um, we continue to have strong um, inpatient performance in May. Um, as we've seen um, through, all, through the first 11 months of the year. Um, both the acute and post-acute patient days were over budget, and the average um, length of stay was over budget, which is the trend for the year. Clinic visits, you know, we had the, the one month that was really close, but we're, we are now below budget um, by 6.4%, which is consistent with all the other months except for that one month that was this almost perfect. Um, and then the physician um, RVUs are over budget by 17.4, which is consistent for the year. Um, so the operating income was a million dollars um, over budget, which um, we needed to see in order to meet our EBITDA target at the end of the year. Um, so the EBITDA was 0.7% over budget, and it is on target to meet the 4.6 goal at 630. And We'll talk about um, how we're going to reach that a little later in the presentation. The net patient service revenue was um, $2.4 million under budget, as expected, and is on track um, to um, meet the forecast that we provided for the shortfall earlier in the year. Supplemental revenues were $6.6 million over budget. Um, we had an adjustment. I'll talk about that a little bit in the next slide. Um, expenses were 3.3 million over budget, but um, just want to note that we are 10.7 million under year to date. And the um, expense for adjusted patient day, I've highlighted that in yellow for you. Um, it's actually 2.6 um, percent under budget year to date, and 0.7 under for the prior fiscal year. So though you know it looks like we're running over on the month in terms of you know gross dollars um, the team the operational team is actually doing an excellent job of managing the expense when you take into account the higher patient volume mm -hmm. so when we put that down to a per unit basis as such um, they're performing very well okay so revenue highlights so um, as I said the um, overall um, Reven net revenues under in the gross patient revenue were over budget in inpatient and pro fees, but under budget for the outpatient, which correlates with the lower um, clinical visits that we discussed before. Mm -hmm. The um, collection percentage um, for the month decreased from 18.4, that's kind of what it's been running, down to 17.5%. 
combination of two factors. So in doing um, you know, our review, and I've been saying for a couple of meetings now how we you know, continuously are reviewing our reserves, our cost reports, all the supplementals. So um, we have an FY09 Medi-Cal cost report where there was an error in the report, and so we are needing to create a reserve of about $12 million that we expect as it goes through the final audit. And, you know, and yes, they are like 10 years behind. It's unbelievable. <laughs> so, but as it gets to that final audit period, we are probably expecting to pay back about $12 million. So we reserved half of it this month, and then we will be reserving the remaining $6 million in June. That um, activity, because it's a cost report activity, it gets grouped up under net patient service revenue versus down in the supplementals. And that item is what's driving our collection percentage down this month. Without it, we'd probably be a little closer to the 18, 18.3%. And then the other item is um, the cash collections. There's a fly over here. <laughs> the cash collections um, are also dropping off a little bit too. And I probably said that in a slide a little further down. So those two items is kind of what made us drop our, be a little more conservative on our collection percentage this month. Um, when I kind of did the last month forecast on the shortfall, I think we're going to end up maybe closer to the 29 or maybe even 30 million on the shortfall, depending on how our final um, AR valuation work comes out. And then the Medi-Cal waiver, so we brought in six million um, of the reserves that we feel that we have available to bring in. And so under the waiver program, there's probably another um, maybe five, six million dollars more that we are going to do some more work and then probably bring it in in June as we true up for the end of the year. Okay, so FTEs. Um, so they are continuing to um, increase, but they are below um, the total budget. So we went up about another um, 40 FTEs between April and May. Um, the benefits were 0.7 million over um, budget. And I only have to say this one more month that, you know, we had the little strange allocation on the benefit budget. So the budget's artificially low and will be that way in June also. And then purchase services um, were about 0.6 million over the budget with the primary variances being in transitional housing, um, some IT services, and the Highland Lab. Pharmaceuticals, um, 0.4 million over. And as, um, well, I guess not all of you were here for the audit committee, but we are um, creating a reserve for the potential 340B findings. So we are reserving about a half million um, in the last quarter of the year to come up with a reserve of 1.5. And so we may true that up or down depending on um, Rick Keebler's final best estimate in June. But um, it, right now it looks like the 1.5 will be adequate. Um, repairs and maintenance, about half a million over the budget due to um, repairs at Highland, at Alameda Hospital and the Fairmont campus. And then, as I said before, the year-to-date, the expenses are under. And what's uh, transition housing referred to? Um, transitional housing, it's 
um, housing that we're paying to be able to discharge patients this into for throughput to throughput. Get, get take people yeah. off. So we had a, beds. Yeah. So we had a vendor. Um, for whatever reason, the statements got blocked somewhere in our process, okay. and we processed several months all at once. I see. And so that's part of the work that the AP team, you know, they went through the lane project and so um, they are now have improved their processes and have moved a little bit. They still are pretty paper driven um, because we don't have a total electronic system, but they have developed um, electronic means of sending the invoices to the managers, directors for approval, and then a tracking mechanism to say, did I get it back or not? Right. And if sense. I don't get it back, then they're escalating it up to the next level, like within a three or four day window. And how large is that contract for housing? Um, I don't know that, but I could find out and get back to you. Is it in the million or millions range? I don't think it's in the millions. Okay. So, do you know, Luis, off the top of your head? It's about 1.2 million or so, about 1.3 million. Yeah. Yeah. So we just we just ended up paying several months as we were going through the statements and working. So their big focus um, the last two months have been ensuring that all the invoices that have a date of 2018 on them are in the system and paid. And so they um, have done outstanding work with that. And so we have reached back to people to say, maybe you did approve this and you sent it back to us, but we don't have it, we don't see it, the vendor says we still owe it, we're going to redo it again. Makes sense. Okay. So this should set us up in a good place for next year going forward. I just had a question on the pharmaceutical line item. Oh, yeah, back up here. Is that just the outpatient pharmacies or is that pharmaceuticals across? All pharmacy. So inpatient pharmaceuticals yeah. as well? Inpatient, outpatient, a little bit of not like we like discharge, retail. It's not a true retail, but. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's our total pharmacy and patient, not patient cost for, for uh, pharmaceutical expense. But again, as you can, as, as you can see, it's over by 427,000, but as Anne was mentioning. Half million. It's largely driven by the, the reserves that, uh, that we're setting aside for this, uh, for this 340B audit that is being finalized by rate keeper, so by internal auditor. So it, uh, absent that, pharmacy has done a phenomenal job this year of running actually below budget, even when with, with an anticipated or a recognized increase in cost of goods. And higher census. Well, and the higher patient yeah. activity as well. Do we ever see a breakout of the outpatient pharmacies? <coughs> Usually those generate revenue, right? That um, is this mostly driven by inpatient, like our inpatient pharmaceutical <coughs> needs, or I'm just trying to make sure I understand what's all included in there? This is all of our drug purchases. Everything. All drug purchases to, to restock our inpatient and outpatient pharmacies. So um, some key balance sheet metrics. So um, the gross days and the net days in um, AR increased um, due to slower cash collections. Um, we kind of have a, a slowdown in, um, there was a slowdown in May. They had some claims that um, they, we changed, oh, 
Let me just back up a step here. So the vendor who sends out the claims electronically, there was a change in service, and the new vendor, um, unfortunately, their invoice didn't get paid because we weren't, accounts payable wasn't aware that there was a different vendor. And so once we got the invoice paid, then they've released our claims. But that's part of what slowed down our there. And then in um, June, this is May, but in June, um, the state also suspends um, Medi-Cal payments for a couple weeks. And so July's already looking very strong. And so in will and will exceed, I would expect it's going to exceed the collection for May and June. And hopefully get, we'll be back on track. And then um, days in cash, you'll note that it's decreased um, by 6.3. It was 12.6 last month, and we're down to 6.3. So we have been um, paying our vendors to eliminate those invoices at over 120 days. And we um, want to have our days cash on hand consistent with the prior year. So we want it to be about the 6.5. So we're on track to, to meet that. And then also you'll see that the um, days and accounts payable, they also decreased by 3.4 days. I'm a little confused. What, what, what's, what's the benefit of having it to correspond with the party? Because we typically don't. You mean the cash? Yeah, the cash. Typically we fund and we spend. Uh -huh. So if I fund $5.5 million for accounts payable, I would expect the check run to come in at about 5.5. Gotcha. So we had um, had some things that we had funded, but then we ended up not paying it. So we had accumulated a little extra cash in the account, the checking account itself. And so we went ahead and started to spend that down to ensure. So by doing that, we took a smaller draw from the county in nice. May and June. Which then ensured that we were going to meet our NMB target. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, thank you. Because um, later on, we had a large payment of 28 million that we were expecting from the county, and it we hadn't received it. So I had forecasted if I didn't get that, what did I need to do to make sure I would still be in compliance? And so one of the things to do was to spend, get our cash on hand back down lower. But the 28 million, we deposited it on 627 or something, so like two okay. days before month, and we literally walked it to the bank and put it in. Got it. So um, cash collection. So um, the prior month, I, so I didn't give you a comparison. The prior month was about 101.5% um, percent of cash to net revenue, and you can see here it's dropped to 99%. The positive thing is that they are have collected more cash this year than what we did last year. So overall, we're improving, but we're just seeing a little slowdown here at the end of the fiscal year. And so this is the um, various um, repayments that we are expecting to make. And you'll see that the Medi-Cal is at tw a $24 million repayment. And so part of that is the $12 million that we are working toward reserving. So the go, can you go back to that one? Yeah. So, so the rate change, you're anticipating a rate change that will bring in 70 million? Mariana? Where? Oh, okay. 
Am I reading that right? A rate change of 70 million to the po positive or um, negative? Yes. Positive. So yeah. we have, um, we tend to um, book the revenue conservatively. We've received all the payments for the fiscal year 18 rate range. And so we're in the process of reviewing the payments compared to the worksheet. And then we'll probably be doing an adjustment for that okay. in June. That's part of the payments that um, came in during the month, or during the month of June. Okay, so here's the NNB. So um, we were actually coming in at 83.6 million. I think last month I said we'd be at about 92, 91, so um, a little better finished than I anticipated. And so then this is the little table that says, you know, if we were to repay back all our, rec you know, liabilities under the reimbursement programs, um, we would actually have a revised NMB at 630 of 281 million compared to our target of 130. So we would be over about 151 million dollars. <coughs> Comments, you guys? Okay. Okay. <laughs> no. Helplessness. That's all. Yeah. Big numbers. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So here's the um, year end. So we only have um, one month that we are left on the projection of June. And so the month of June, I have um, reviewed the prior um, three months of activity and then kind of put in my best um, estimate. Don't. Hopefully my crystal ball was pretty clear. And so that's my best estimate of how June will close at this moment. And that is going to drive us over to the 4.6 um, EBITDA margin that, that we're looking for. But you'll see that um, an increase of about three or four million in supplemental revenue, mm -hmm. and then um, net patient service revenue staying fairly flat. And a slight decrease in um, operating expenditures, um, primarily due to the um, 31 days in May compared to 30 in June. So it's more driven by that than, than anything else. So you, you show a, a really strong EBITDA in June, and that's because of the additional supplementals, right? Because that's, that's we're doing all the truing up of right. okay. the programs. Yeah, when you see 9.3 EBITDA, it's like, wow, wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, what I Oh, the 4.6 if we can keep that, that one. Yeah, we can keep 4.6 <laughs> and be fine. Yeah. And we have a, a few items that, that we don't, that we will chew up during during the audit. So mm -hmm. like, I won't have the final measure A revenue until after June is preliminarily closed. And there's actual reports that come for the workers' comp and MedMal and um, the pension and the OPEP. All that information will arrive after this preliminary close. And so we will have some other adjustments that will happen, and then best See what happens everything should work together, and we'll end up right about there. And that final close is uh, beginning of September? Um, your goal on Well, that? I heard today I was going to be done by 930. Mm -hmm. so oh, okay. That's what told me, yeah. <laughs> so, so we will have a fairly um, concrete number, I would mm -hmm. think, by the by the time the auditors leave their site visits, usually that's the first week in October. 
And then we put together the draft audit in October, and then we'll present it in November. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay, and then um, on the rolling projection, um, I've, the assumptions have remained consistent. The only change I made was that I deviated from the um, assumptions that we've been working under to true up <laughs> June to what I thought was a little more realistic. And so you'll see that on here um, that we're projecting an EBITDA margin of a loss of a negative 0.49. So close to break even, but not quite. Do you remember what it was last month? Was really close number. to that. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, it didn't move very much. A little bit better because June was better, so therefore it drove yeah, everything. It gets, well, you're going to talk about the rolling in a moment, right? Well, that is the rolling. Oh, that is the rolling. It isn't. I just made it so well, it I mean, if you, So if you roll it out, it gets worse is what I wanted to do. Um, it's kind of flattening out. Okay. A little bit. Interesting. What's that mean? But, Elaborate on that. Um, well, I haven't rolled it out all the way, but when I look at May and June, which would be 12 months from now, roughly, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it doesn't change substantially. I'm not seeing mm -hmm. that it's all of a sudden that the EBITDA margin is going to go to a minus 3 or 4%. That happens more in fiscal year 21 and 22 when we don't know what the waiver re replacement is. And so then we have you know that big drop off of the supplemental revenues, which then causes us to have a larger operating loss. So, but for this little short window of next fiscal year, it's it's not a huge negative yet. But we're projecting. If you remember the, um, and I don't have the schedule with me, but uh -huh. there was a kind of cash forecast schedule for the yeah. budget. Yeah. And 20 was, you know, okay, not great, but okay. But then 21, 22 um, progressively became a worse picture, if you want to word it that way. Or more concerning picture. Well, maybe a better yeah. word. Well, uh, negative, even as. Well, that's never good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> And that's the rolling 12 months, right? That's rolling. Yeah. yeah. Hey, okay. I think that's my last slide. Any questions? Any other questions? Uh, you know, I have a, a procedural question, not a big deal. Your reports in here, which are great and very thorough, <clears throat> and then you, you give us the slides. Is there any way to give us the slides in the packet? I, I provided the mm -hmm. slides. They are? They're just kind of Oh. They're after the report. Oh. Mm -hmm. I, no. Okay. All right. There it is. I just read the really long part. So, so you know, I changed up the presentation about two months ago. Right. Because Nancy's presentation was extremely detailed yeah, yeah but i thought you had that information in your packet and so i tried to make it a little more um high level and yeah. my bad but yeah. if you want it's more there. information yeah. just let We're me sad. know yeah. 
Sorry. I, I, I'd like the way it's presented. Right. Oh, I like the way you presented it for sure. Okay. I just didn't realize that I had the slides at the Got end. Got it. I thought maybe you were saying I had like cut out too much information. No, no, no. no. I, I, I just missed. I, I went through the, the long one, and then I just, I just didn't realize that it was in there, and the slides were in there as well. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Let's move on to the chief operating officer's report. Excellent. Thank you. So, uh, I, I, again, you have the report in your packet. Uh, I won't continue to further elaborate on what uh, Anne has already shared, but I just want to share, share several highlights. And and uh, before I start, uh, Trustee Abuleta, I want to make sure that I, as you were asking the question, I want to make sure that I maybe clarify. So, as, as I stated, what we're seeing here and what you're seeing reflected in the expense line for the total uh, uh, income statement for the for the health system is the total expense for all pharmaceuticals, all drug costs, inpatient and outpatient. Okay. To your point, your question, we also, we only have one outpatient pharmacy and that's here at Highland. That, you know, all the revenue that we capture from that is captured and we have it under other revenues. Okay. Other revenues, but then it's, it's, it's part of the total revenues. So when you're looking at the consolidated statement for the health system, when you're looking at total revenues, that's built into that. So now, if, if what you are interested in is looking at how is that outpatient pharmacy performing, then that's a different analysis that we would have to do. That is, you wouldn't be able to capture that here. So this is looking at the, the consolidated general statement for the entire system, total revenues, which the outpatient pharmacy revenues are built into that, and then total expenses, which that's a specific line item for, for the uh, income statement under pharmaceuticals. Okay. Does that answer? It does. I think the confusion is I'm just seeing an expense without a revenue. Of it's built into, it's right. under other revenues, mm -hmm. and it's built into the total revenues. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no problem. Thank you. I wanted to make sure I was like, well, I appreciate I that. The question? Thank you. So, so, so uh, following up on that, you know, yes. my understanding is in hospitals, generally, pharmacy and ancillary services tend to be, you know, positive generators. Is that the case here too? In other words, they they cover more than their portion of the costs, but you lose on the in, you know on the inpatient side. From a gross charges perspective, uh, yes. Okay. Uh, but from a collections, I mean, again, sure. it depends. Sure. You know, the payer makes us a lot Absolutely. to do with that, right? So, Absolutely. You know, it, it varies. But to, to your point in in, in concept, yes, that yeah. that's actually the case. And the outpatient pharmacy does actually very well, and largely because of our. 340B program and how we're able to leverage some of that. So, it's in the management of the cost. Correct. But, but Correct. The management of the cost, and uh, so, but again, which is largely impacted by the 340B as well as, you know, we have some very specialty drugs, like for example, HIV drugs and things like that, that we're able to to leverage, and we have a very robust program here at Highland, and so that's one of those big revenue generating impacts there for pharmacy and the outpatient side. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Okay, so uh, just highlights on, on some of these here. Uh, and population health, uh, as I've mentioned before, this is largely driven by our care management uh, division. That's part of population health. That's the bulk of the expense in this area. As we can see, our salaries continue to be above budget and uh, pretty much right on target, about 1% over for the year. Uh, this is mostly driven by some of the contract labor that we have. We've had some challenges and difficulties in recruiting. Uh, they're, they're very hard to find, and especially in leadership positions for care management. And so we've had to bring in some contracted support. Uh, so that's what's largely dr driving the, uh, the impact on, on our total cost of, of uh, salaries and wages. When you look at uh, the purchase services, as Ann mentioned, some of this was driven by the fact that we had uh, 
uh, uh, several invoices that were processed all at once for some of our transitional housing, and that's what we sh shared in the last slide. This breaks it down specifically for this location here, uh, and this is where the cost resides. And then I wanted to just highlight just a few other things that we, uh, as we're drilling down and, and, and understanding what, what is driving some of our costs when we're looking at outside <laughs> medical services. Outside medical services is those, those things that, um, services that we don't provide that we then send patients out somewhere else and they're, they're receiving that care in another facility and so we're paying for those services. And again, that also has a lot to do with when those invoices are processed and when those come in from those providers themselves. In this particular month, we had quite a few of those invoices come in for services that were provided months ago. And so we're working through that to see how we can streamline that, but to a certain extent, it's, it's somewhat at the control of the other entity of when they submit that, that invoice. And then we also highlighted here some of the things, uh, some of the costs that we spent. Uh, just in this month alone, we spent $28,000. And again, as you can see, their clothing, uh, investigations to help locate family, airline tickets, <coughs> DME equipment, uh, post-discharge home care support, things of that nature. So again, it's just an ongoing thing that we're trying to do to help manage and improve yeah. our throughput process. Can you tell me how many patients that represents? Mm -hmm. Not at the moment, but uh, but. We can certainly, I mean, we have a lot of that information. We track every single one of those. I just, yeah, when I saw that on there, I was just thinking, what's the success rate? Uh, you mentioned airline tickets. Um, sounds like you're doing some family reunification. It'd just be interesting to know in a month how many patients you're spending this extra on to get yeah. housed yeah. or home yeah, or, um, yeah. We have, we, we, we track all of this and I'm sure, I mean, like I said, I'm sure I can work with, with our team to, to get a better sense of that and, and, and certainly provide some information if necessary. Mm -hmm. um, provider delivery, we continue to perform well. Uh, again, this, this year and, 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 you know, truly being uh, focused on, on what we've identified here. As you recall, this is relatively new for, for us as the organization. We started the you know, year before, uh, or yeah, year before last, because we're already in the new year. So the year before last. Uh, and so we didn't really have good baseline to work with. And so as you can see, you know, it, it, it shows that we're you know, outperforming what we had budgeted. But again, it's, it's due to, I think, what we had was a, a, a baseline that was not completely reflective. And now, now this coming year, we'll have a much better baseline to work with and how we're going to continue to see improvements in productivity for our providers. And I expect to see that because of the work that's happening in ambulatory, specifically with uh, the, revisit, the revisiting of all of our templates and how we're starting to see more patients in all of our clinics. Ambulatory, uh, as you can see here, uh, they have not met their target. They uh, were below by 11% uh, for the month in primary care, 7% specialty care. Uh, for the year, uh, they're about 7% and 5% respectively. In primary care, one of the things that I did highlight is there's about 3,500 visits that were uh, duplicated in our budget. And so when I extract those, it reduces primary care down from 11% to 7%. Uh, truly was what they, the gap that they missed in that, uh, that area there. Uh, the primary care clinic in Alameda, as we've mentioned before, that's one of the, the, the clinics that we're looking at for this fiscal year. Uh, but as you can see, it's just uh, uh, running significantly below budget. As far as uh, the financials or the expense side of it, uh, so we see the volumes, now we see the expenses. Uh, consistent with lower uh, volumes that they're seeing in the clinic, lower clinic visits, uh, they are doing a good job managing their expenses. And so again, I, I commend them for that. And we continue to work hard to improve our efficiency and our productivity. 
In acute care, I broke this down into a couple slides, this time from the previous months, because it's just so much data, and we've added a few key data points here uh, based on some of our conversations. And so I wanted to split it up into a couple slides to make it a little bit more legible. But the key things that we focus on here is, as you can see, we have a higher number of discharges, uh, and our average daily census is up by 10%. So again, as consistent with what Ann had mentioned, we're having uh, a lot more patient activity, but we're also seeing improved throughput uh, through the facility. And again, that um, I go large and uh, enlarged by um, the fact that there's a lot of activities and a lot of work that's happening in the inpatient setting with our teams and our throughput steering committee to ensure that we can track these patients, manage these patients very closely. We have reports that come out on a regular basis to ensure that these long-stay patients uh, you know, don't fall off the radar and that we continue to manage and support the activity. Uh, as you can see, our, our um, case mix index was slightly higher at uh, Alameda, largely driven by the fact that uh, we're transferring uh, patients from Highland to Alameda, uh, but overall, they're pretty consistent with budget. As far as uh, the rest of our volumes, looking at surgeries, emergency visits, emergency visits continue to follow the same trend we've seen this year, last year, the year before, where they're continuing to, to decline. Uh, so we've obviously made concessions for that or adjustments for that for this coming year. Uh, as far as salaries and wages, uh, they're slightly above budget by 8%, again, largely driven by the increased patient activity. What I do look at, as I've shared with you all before, is looking at the total number of, of FDEs, slightly higher, but when you look at your FDEs for adjusted occupied bed, they're certainly below, right on target with our productivity metrics. And so that's... So is that overtime? That's, uh, the cost is largely driven by overtime. Okay. Um, behavioral health, we're pretty much on, on target. Uh, we've seen uh, uh, this month we had a 19% uh, less discharges. That's largely driven by the higher acuity that we're seeing in the facility. And also when you look at emergency visits, that's largely impacted by the census holds that we've had to place in the facility uh, due to acuity of the PES and the number of people in the PES. And so when we were operating in that 40 to 50 range, there's days now when we're in that 60 to mm. 65 range. And mm. so it gets very, very busy in a very small area and so for patient safety, staff safety, uh, quality of care, we always uh, find ourselves having to put a census hold where we're not receiving any transfers from any of the facilities. We always accept walk-ins and drop-offs, but any transfers are delayed. And large, and we, we track that very closely. The greatest impact is usually Highland, uh, not any of the other community mm -hmm. hospitals. Mm -hmm. And, and typically it's somebody who's in a medical ER waiting for transfer? Correct. Okay. Correct. It's exactly that. It's yeah. there, there. They've presented to an ED. They need to be transferred to John George. If we're on census hold, they have to wait. We keep track of that. We then communicate with them, and we bring them in as soon as we, we lift the hold. Why is that mostly Highland? Um, this is where I think the bulk of the patients are dropped off usually by, by uh, EMS transport. Mm -hmm. We see the higher, the higher number of patients coming here to Highland. They're treated here at Highland, and then they're transferred over to John George. <laughs> is San Leandro able to serve the same function? To a certain extent, uh, especially after recent uh, approval from the county uh, to designate Alameda and San Leandro, uh, so they are able to now uh, 
you know, place those 5150s, lift those 5150s with the support of a psychiatrist, and so we have that in place. But for the most part, they present here. When they present to, to San Leandro, there's it's mm -hmm. a very small number of patients. Yeah. That and I, and I, I think uh, last month at the trustee meeting, you had uh, uh, metrics, and one of the metrics I remember was a substantial increase in the number of hours that somebody was in the ER before they got transferred. Is that Correct. Kind of tied, that's tied into this? Correct. Uh, well, well, no, I, I think what you're yeah. talking about at the trustee meeting was our True North metric dashboard, and so what we're talking right. about is the, the time of placement from ED to bed. Right. right, and so that that's not counting okay. anyone going to the behavioral health, and so that's the, now you're at that point you're transferring the patient, you're dispositioning the patient. Okay, they're okay. not being admitted to the inpatient setting. Oh, they're not, not to the ED and no. Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, and then looking at salaries and wages, uh, there is uh, obviously uh, there's been a tremendous amount of of uh, activity there at uh, John George with uh, increased acuity. Uh, taking care of the patients, the increased number of one-to-ones that are required to care for that population due to that higher acuity uh, is resulting in, in some additional overtime to cover those expenses and so that's what we're seeing that reflected in our salaries and wages in the facility. Other than that, uh, they're certainly operating well within their targets and managing expenses effectively. And then post-acute runs extremely efficient. Uh, we, you know, we have uh, our facilities typically and traditionally very full. Uh, operating at 97%, we see a uh, significant increase of 213 days or 2%. You know, on our patient days, our average daily census 304. So uh, on a budget of 298. So again, our post-acute facilities, we're leveraging them to the fullest. Uh, we, uh, you know, the team does a great job in managing and working very closely with mm -hmm. Highland specifically to make sure that we're able to move patients and, and have a disposition for them when it comes to the skilled nursing uh, mm -hmm. setting. And then they manage their expenses extremely well. As you can see, their FDE for adjusted occupied bed, uh, 1.62 to 1.78. So they're, they're almost 10%. Uh, so their efficiency is extremely uh, high. And then support services is the capture of everything else in the facility. Again, this is where we see some of our uh, other uh, system expenses. But as you can see, we're 11% below budget, uh, doing well in managing costs, managing expenses. Other than that, uh, I'm happy to answer any questions. Just wanted to maybe share some of those highlights. Questions? So when you, when you use travelers, okay, do, do they show up under salary and wages or do they show up under registry? They show up under registry. Okay. Thank you. And so that's another area where we as an organization have done a phenomenal job in really managing those expenses. Uh, we've, been, we, we, we've been working uh, with our staff, uh, we've been hiring up, we've been filling some of our vacancies, and our dependency on registry has significantly gone down year over year. Yeah, good. That's true. <laughs> okay. We'll move on. Excellent. So, want to continue? Yes, please. I, I've got the mic, I'm going to continue. <laughs> exactly. So first, for, I, I want to preface this by uh, just a couple of things, and, and Baljeet was, was supposed to join me. Oh, he's here. He's coming. <laughs> he was, I was going to say, he's supposed to join me, but he was at a doctor's appointment. Um, and so I'm glad he made it. But uh, yeah. I, can still, I can still run down to him about it. I didn't say for what. Okay, okay. And I, and I got my tea, and I put it all together. <laughs> so 
in any case, uh, I, I want to really start off, and I want to preface this by uh, sharing several things. And and uh, over over the last several months, uh, obviously, we've been uh, focused tremendously on on our budget and how we're moving forward as an organization, how we're managing our operations and what kind of visibility do we have and really getting down to the granular level to ensure that we're making informed decisions to drive performance. Not only performance from a quality perspective, from an outcomes perspective, but also from a financial perspective. Equally at our board meeting, we've talked and I've heard a lot of comments about how do we, we you know, this, this connection between finance and quality right. and how yeah. we drive these different things. At our last uh, two QPSC meetings, uh, Trustee Bouquet had shared two articles, one which was called, What is Quality Worth? Quantifying Potential Cost Savings and Quality. And a second article this most recent month in June, How Not to Cut Healthcare Costs. So the five key techniques of how not to do this. And so I wanted to, to you know, to, to share that, you know, uh, you know I, I appreciate the articles. I think it, it really sheds light into the work that we need to do and how we're all continuing to move this forward. But I wanted to take a moment and as really directly tied to what we're going to review here today and, and share some of the work that we're doing and that's ongoing on day-to-day -day operations on how we manage this organization, on how we were able to close a $30 million gap that started on July 1, and how we're really focusing on improving and ensuring the highest level of quality at all times. But when we focus on this, we, we engaged with Vizient in December of 2018. Uh, no, 2017. Uh, we engaged in that contract with Vizient. Uh, if you recall, there was a tremendous amount of discussion around how we wanted to proceed with that. As part of that engagement, we have two components to that. We had a GPO component, or the Group Purchasing Organization, mm -hmm. and then we had a host or a suite of analytics and tools that we were going to leverage with uh, Vizient to help us continue to better manage and have that visibility at the granular level on how we're performing as an organization. And so what I'm going to walk you all through here is exactly how we're proceeding with those. I gave a, a retrospective on the GPO side a few months ago. Mm -hmm. Now I'm doing it on the analytics side and share with you how all this comes together. But for the most part, there were five components in the article that uh, Trustee Bouquet shared, of which it was the how not to cut healthcare costs. It says cutting support staff. It's one of the things that typically happens. You start cutting support staff, and then now you have highly paid, you know, providers or individuals doing lower-level work that is not uh, consistent with where we're at. What are we doing as an organization, and what have we always continued to do? And in many areas, we're revisiting our skill mix, as I've shared in the past in our budget reviews, how we're revisiting our skill mix, how we're looking at leveraging all of our resources to the top of their license, making sure that we have the right individuals. And so in some cases, we're eliminating certain roles, but we're creating new roles, what's more appropriate for that setting and what we're, what we're trying to accomplish. Also, uh, how do we manage that? And we manage that through this database that we call the operational database. And that will be something that we've leveraged here which shares and ties into the productivity, giving us benchmarks and comparisons with other entities across our compare group to ensure that we're driving and having the implementing some of these best practices to continue to move forward. The second uh, issue was, or the second uh, recommendation was under investing in space and equipment. How do we leverage our space? So for example, here we do a review of our clinics. We actually moved several clinics earlier this year from our K building over to the HCP. 
when you walked around in the ACP, there were clinic spaces that were empty and cave building was busting at the seams. Moving things around and ensuring the efficiency allowed us to increase templates and see more patients, leveraging our space. Another example is in our operating rooms. The operating rooms is the probably, I will, I will say that the operating room is by and far the most expensive piece of real estate in the entire facility. And if you're not leveraging or using that to its fullest, it becomes an issue. And so what have we begun to do is we're looking at, and we've been doing this over the last several years, is how, we, how do we shift certain cases from here, leveraging our assets across the system, meaning San Leandro operating rooms, Alameda operating rooms, and how do we shift certain cases that are happening over there, uh, here, over there, to be, to, so we can go ahead and improve access to this facility here. There are certain cases that were being performed in the operating room that could easily be done in a procedure room. They don't need an operating room. And so those have been shifted to those appropriate settings. And so looking at all these things to ensure that we're not only improving access, improving quality, but also managing the space as, more, as efficiently as possible. Investing in equipment, we routinely purchase capital equipment to ensure that we have the technologies that we need to ensure that we're providing services in all areas. We've uh, also leveraged support from our foundation to you know, bring in a new mammography unit for San Leandro where we've got a portable x-ray machine that we brought in for San Leandro ED. We've got a portable x-ray that we brought in for Highland. We have a brand new MRI that we just installed for Highland. So I mean these are all things that we're investing to make sure that we're improving quality, improving access. The third component was focusing on procurement prices. That's our GPO. If you recall in that GPO assessment that I provided uh, a couple of months ago, yeah. we had a very aggressive target. We tasked Vizian with a challenge and they stepped up to the challenge and said, we're gonna guarantee you when we, off when they off when we completed this agreement, we're gonna guarantee you $7.78 million in savings within three years. In year one, they had a target of 5.5 million. They exceeded it by over half a million dollars. In year two, which we're currently in, and year three, we're easily gonna exceed the 7.78 guaranteed savings they had given us. And this is largely driven by the uh, savings actualizer, which is one of the tools that we're gonna review here very quickly, and also the review that we're doing on all of our contracts. We're reviewing all of our, procure all of our contracts. We've renegotiated contracts with McKesson for pharmacy expense. We've, re uh, we've renegotiated our medical supplier uh, primary distribution supplier for medical supplies uh, through um, Medline. Uh, not Medline. Medline. Yeah, Medline. GPO. Medline, through our GPO. Uh, we've done our parking, we've done our vending, we've done, I mean, all these things are because of these reviews that we're doing, reevaluating re all of our current contracts and leveraging our GPOs. We've also fallen under the academic tier in all of our contracts and so therefore we're getting and realizing savings for like-for-like -like products that we're currently using just purchasing them at a better rate. In other areas we've done a tremendous amount of work where Baljeet has actually led an effort of creating a value analysis committee that looks at equivalent alternates. If I have glove X and I have glove Y and we do an assessment and an evaluation of those gloves, glove X is seven dollars Glove Y is $2, can we start using Glove Y? And we've started to do that in a lot of our areas and we've gained and garnered support from our staff, from our physicians, from the providers, everyone that uses the equipment. That's the purpose of the Value Analysis Committee. So that work continues. And lastly, uh, number four was maximizing throughput. I think we've talked a lot about throughput but, and the work mm -hmm. that we're doing in throughput. 
But looking at the tools that we have, the clinical database, the service line analytics, allow us to look at length of stay, allow us to look at the quality, allows us to look at outcomes in comparison to others across our compare group and across the nation to make sure that we're managing those patients effectively and efficiently. And I'll give you some examples on a particular service line. And lastly, failing to benchmark and standardize. We have a tool called the operational database. That is our benchmarking tool. That is the foundation and the basis for what we've done to build our budget for fiscal year 20. That's how we make sure that we have the appropriate staffing levels to make sure that we're moving the organization forward consistent with best practices and the benchmarks across the industry. Equally, we're looking at the San Leandro relicensing process. That's standardization. That's bringing, consolidating the organization, allowing us greater flexibility to leverage our assets. So these are many things that we're doing. So I, you know, I, I wanted to share this, and I wanted to take a few extra minutes. So I went extra fast on my other report, so I have to spend these extra <laughs> minutes now. Because in previous meetings, I've heard comments like, you know, that, that there's this perception that some of these things don't happen or haven't been happening. Or I can assure you, we're really focused, and this is what we do day in and day out. And this is what's driving us. And these tools that I'm going to get into now are part of the assets that we're using to help drive some of these efforts. So, as I mentioned, we have several tools. We have the Visient Savings Actualizer, the Clinical Database and Service Line Analytics, Operational Database, Data Links, and Procedural Analytics. The Savings Actualizer is the biggest, the, the tool that we're using for a GPO for managing all of our contracts. That's what really ensures that we're staying consistent with all of our benchmarks, and I'll share some examples in the future sites which you have with you. Uh, the Clinical Database and the Service Line Analytics, that's a great question. Yes, sir. Oh, no, I, just, I, I don't want to mess up your flow. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was just curious, with the savings actualizer, like what percentage of our supply chain providers have we actually analyzed since we got the contract with this? I want to say 90% of them. Wow. Okay. And the work continues. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, well, it... We continue to do it every year, I'm sure. Uh, every year, because, again... Different things, you know, there's different things that contribute to that, right? Uh, you know, a lot of it is driven by volume, so total spend. So if, 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 if I consolidate certain things, I increase volume, I move a tier, or I can move into a different vendor. I mean, so those are things that we're working through our GPO, and it's a constant process. Can I ask a follow-up? Yes. Yeah. So um, we know about, like, the parking contract changing. Of that 90% that you analyzed, what percent do you think you either changed vendors or negotiated a lower amount because of, because of Vizient and GPO? And I realize this is like, these are curveball questions. I, I, I can, I, you know what, I can provide you with a more exact number, but I will tell you that uh, those that require a change in vendors are, are, are very few because most of those would come to the board for approval because right. of the total size of the contract. So our major suppliers like McKesson for pharmacy, Medline for medical surgical, parking, uh, food services, uh, security, all these big, big contracts went through this entire process and all of them came back the with ER, great savings. Trauma, right. uh, as far as all of our routine supplies, many of them, like I said, we were just looking at what was our actual spend, what was the tier that we were at, the savings actualizer allows us to, and tells us, hey, wait a minute, you're actually spending this much, you should be at this tier. And so we, we run these reports, we look at this, say, yeah, we should be at that tier. We communicate with the vendors, they make that happen, we get a credit, or we start paying that lower price. So these are ongoing things that happen every single day, and we have staff 
and a support person from Vizient that actually partners with us to look at this every single day. One thing, uh, one thing I'll add is the, the Medline contract that came to before us was an exceptionally large contract, if you recall. And within that span, encapsulated, so they're, they, they're our prime distributor. So they themselves will be the clearinghouse for all the other little vendors that we're working with, local, large, medium. And so uh, within that contract that you approve will be then, will continue to be this work. So you, will, you may not see the glove switch, but the glove switch will happen with Medline and Sev, you giving us that vendor with the gloves, we need you to now bring in these boxes from that book. So right. just to give you the context of, yeah. hey, we only have like five or six contracts here, but we're talking like big bucks. Um, where was that happening? So that's also kind of captured in that piece and the kind of ongoing work. Thank you. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you, Belgi. So uh, again, moving on to the clinical database and service analytics, this looks at patient encounters and how we're linking that to the supply utilization to deliver those services. And then how that translates to equally the patient outcome itself from a quality perspective. Uh, our operational database looks at uh, our productivity, looks at performance related to uh, you know, staffing and support of the organization. Data links is, is, the, is the cleanser. Data links is the tool that says, okay, you know, when, when we're looking at all of these different supplies and it's looking at nomenclature for certain different, uh, for, for similar or like items. So for example, if you have a large, uh, using Baljeet's example, you know, we were talking last time, you know, it's when you're saying large gloves, you may have in your chart description that says LRG gloves or L gloves or large gloves, they're all one and the same. This system here allows you to link all that and say, wait a minute, this is all coming together. This is all one item and how we manage that. So it's a cleanser to make sure that we have the most accurate data so then we can have the most accurate comparisons so we can drive those better, uh, negotiate those better deals. And then procedural analytics gets down to the granular level where I can see the performance of a particular provider. So Dr. Aboleta compared to Dr. Smith and who is performing at what cost. So when Dr. Aboleta is doing a procedure, it's costing us $1,000. When Dr. Smith is doing it, it's costing us $500. Why the difference? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you got that back. I mean, I, I, I meant to say Dr. Aboleta's $500 is $1,000 for Dr. Smith. How do you apply that, though, to the providers? How do you, how do you like, will, will, will working with NUCO help? Like, like, tell me well, that's exactly what this does. So by having this type of visibility, it allows us to have these meaningful conversations, sharing the information with the providers themselves, and say, what's happening here? Dr. Aboleta, who's spending half of, that, of what you're spending, but has the same exact outcomes, what can we do differently? And so that's the kind of work that we're doing. And so this, these tools are intended to help us have those conversations and then have them be part of the process to make those improvements. I guess my question is, once you have, okay, so what's your leverage over Dr. Smith when you determine that they're not performing at the level of Dr. Aboleta? Well, that's, that's uh, again, I mean, that's where Dr. Jamaluddin comes in as our CMO <laughs> and says, you know, this is what. We're, not only that, not only Dr. Jamali, but you know, the chair of that the chair of that department, and says, "Hey, well, wait a minute. I mean, this is the benchmark. This is the data. This is a comparison of you know, thousands of data points, uh, multiple facilities, very similar facilities. And so, when it's it, the data is in front of you, it's hard to argue, and it, it forces the conversation to say, "How can we help you get there?" 
It's not intended so to be punitive, it's intended to be performance improvement. Yeah. Sure, no, of course. And, I mean, this just reminds me of some conversations we've had recently about some of the potential painful cuts that we have to make. And, right. um, you, you know, it would make sense to go to our loss leaders first with this analytics and say, you know, hey, you're, you know, here's what's going on with your group. Um, is that, is that, in the, in the, is that happening, I guess? That's, that's part of the that process, and I'll share with you that we've had some limitations. Uh, a lot of this, and, and when I get to the next slide, it'll show us where we're at on some mm -hmm. of these tools. Mm -hmm. yeah, so we have yet to fully implement some of these tools because of our current infrastructure. A lot of this will then change once we go live on Epic. But right now, because we're capturing a lot of information on paper, it's very difficult to get that into the system and see how we're managing that. But again, it, it is part of the work that we're doing. Uh, it is something that will continue to help inform right. some of our contribution margin of studies that we're doing with Ishwari, <coughs> that type of information. And just to, to, to round out the point, we've heard from staff and from providers that let them be part of the process Absolutely. as we tackle this deficit and, and determine how to meet it. And sure. these kind of analytics, I realize you're going to have to wait on Epic for some of it, but this would help them. Absolutely. That is the intent. Okay. These are tools and resources that will help shine a light on where we have an opportunity based on comparisons and benchmarking that will allow us to dig deeper to see how we can make something happen. There's many variables, and so we want to make sure that we address all of them. And it empowers the staff to feel Absolutely. part of the decision-making process. Yeah, I don't mean to throw a monkey wrench in, but I, I'm going to. So what, what if Dr. Smith has uh, a middle-class privileged client without other social determinants impacting their health. Dr. Avalada has someone who has, um, who's very challenged and homeless and, and so forth. Um, aren't, the, aren't the measures unequal? How, how do you account for various social determinants? Well, you look at that, I mean, because you're, you're able to get down to the, I mean, the DRG level, to the patient level, okay. to the physician level. So, I mean, we're able to see that. And we're so you do an The system is an apples to apples. It's an apples to apples comparison, uh, as close as you I can I just saw the term cases. nationwide database, and I thought, well, well, well hey, you know, we're dealing with a pretty acute, I mean, it is, unique but, system. It is, equally, and, and I'll have Belgi speak to that, I think, in the next slide here uh, as we move on. Um, so... It's, we, we, are, we are in a compare group, and the compare group is broken up into, you know, there's about four different groups that we look at. There's, uh, there's the comprehensive academic medical centers, there's the large specialized complex care, there's the complex care, and then there's the community-based. And so those are the four groups. We okay. fall, as Highland, we fall under the complex medical care <laughs> uh, based on our statistics. And so we are, we are compared, actually, uh, there's about another 70 uh, or so uh, providers that were compared in this group, and several of which are safety net providers, nice. very similar to us of similar populations. And so there's, there's factors that go into the calculations to ensure that these variables are accounted for sure. and that we can have that type of comparison. I assume there was some way to get there. Yes. So when you look at this slide here, we're just talking about the progress on each one of these. Uh, those that are in green are fully implemented uh, at all three sites. The yellows are yellow only because we're still waiting for Epic to go live at uh, San Leandro for clinical database and Alameda and San Leandro for service line analytics. Uh, and then the procedural analytics is in red because we, we, we need to get to Epic before we can get to that point. So those are moving forward, but again, great progress over the, the, the last year or so. And I have to say, 
the effort that goes into this is enormous. Uh, you know, we're having to validate data, we're having to compare, we're having to upload information, we're doing these comparisons, and so, again, we want to make sure that there's credibility. So when we have these conversations with providers, with staff, with others, that there's confidence in the numbers that we're looking at. So you want to talk a little bit about this? this? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Please. Sure. One thing before I jump into this, but also Trustee um, Chikwan, back to your question: As this, you know, this machine is running in the background and the algorithm's going, uh, there are other things that come into account, like the case mix uh, index is coming in, so CMI is factoring as well. We're talking about social determinants of health and, and all the other aspects there. Uh, in addition to that, as we were getting our compare group identified and benchmarking. You know, there's this process you go through where each of the departments are then filling out things like a normalization survey. So, you know, they're saying, well, uh, your uh, linen and messenger team at Highland Hospital, here's a list of 30 questions. Do you guys also transport patients? Do you guys do this? So mm -hmm. it really gets to granularity because our laundry linen team here, our scope might be different than the one that right. is at UCLA Harbor. Maybe they're doing a little bit more. Maybe they're doing a little less. Right. And so... Um, to get to this point, which is, you know, for thinking, you know, the contract was January 2018, and here we are, you know, middle summer of 2019, all of those steps were kind of happening in the background to get to the point kind of year that you were raising around how do we compare truly what's the, what the value is. And so, uh, and this slide just uh, serves to highlight pretty the characteristics of the cohort that we're in, uh, and particularly there's um, there's about 70, uh, 71 systems that are um, part of this cohort. There are a few there, but one thing that we would point out is um, uh, America's Central Hospitals, which is the, the national organization that we are a part of and um, safety net health systems are. There's about nine organizations in our cohort that are also uh, AEH hospitals, and there's about three that are in California that match our cohort, uh, San Bernardino, uh, Riverside, and Arrowhead. So uh, we are, you know, the, pretty much the question that we used to get is, you can't compare us to them, we're totally different, right? right. And so how do we debunk that is really kind of the true question, mm -hmm. making sure we're not doing all this data and folks are like, well, that's not us. Okay. So this is kind of all part of that. Okay. Thank you. So this is now, I'll go through these quickly, but just to give you some examples of the power of these tools. So the savings actualizer, as I mentioned, was the tool of the, the, that looks at all of our contracts, looks at, looks at our spend, and looks at how we could compare or benchmark against other entities. What this is showing here, and just looking at hips and uh, hip joint implants, and I used hip joints as the example for everything just so I can be consistent to make it a little bit more uh, easier to follow. But all, all these tools come together. So this, using the, the Vizient Savings Actualizer, we can see that we, of our total spend for hip joints, our market share is we, we purchase 85% of those from Depew, Synthes, and we purchase 15% from Ortho Development Corp. When you look at the, the graph next to it, what this is telling us is that as a health system, we spend about $120,000. Each hospital has a spend of, you know, again, 40, 60, and about 20. But we spent about 120,000 total. The percentages that you see on top is where we rank in that category. What this means here is that we're at that we're 84.84.7 percent for our health system of all other comparisons in our in our group in our compare group in a benchmark. 84.7 percent of them are getting better pricing than we are. <laughs> Yeah. So we are actually, this is, it's, it's one of those inverse uh, relationships, just like the press gaining. So we are actually at the 15th percentile. You want to be at the 50th, 60th percentile, getting that middle of the, you know, uh, of the mark pricing. So we have an opportunity. Highland is the one that's getting the best pricing, but they're still, you know, 80% of the hospitals are getting price, better pricing than Highland. 
So that's what the power of this tool is telling us, hey, you need to look at this and we're gonna have a conversation with Synthes to say, hey, you're charging me too much. How do we make an adjustment here? Then you translate that and you go into looking at performance and clinical outcomes and we're looking at it by provider. In this particular example, we've, we've kind of cleansed the data. I didn't want to put names on there, so I just have numbers. But each one of those numbers represents a physician. These are hip joint replacement procedures. When you look at this, what this is telling us is saying the mean observed length of stay was 5.75 for physician number one. 16 cases, the mean <coughs> length of stay was 5.75. The expected was 3.82. That means that they're over by 150%. When you look at their outcomes, uh, you know, they're looking at the, you know, none of them, none of them were ICU cases. They weren't a mean ICU days. Mortality was great. But look at the 30-day readmit. Yeah. 18%. So not only is this provider performing these cases on these patients, they're staying here longer than what they should have based on what was expected, and they're returning 18% of the time. There's an opportunity there. That's quality. What's happening and what's driving that? When you look at Alameda Highland Hospital, Highland Hospital as a whole, our mean observed length of stay is 7.22. 3.53 is what's expected. We're double that. What's driving that? Now again, there may be other factors, as we said. Placement issues, challenges with you know, our, 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 our patient population, things of that nature. But when you're looking at the compare group, they're at 2.47 versus an expected of 2.60. They're right on the money. And they're well below in the 30-day readmit at 3.7%. So that's how this information comes together. So then I break it down even further and I say, okay, well, looking at these patients, again, hip joint replacement patients, the green line is our community, our, our cohort, our group, comparison group. The yellow line is our performance. The way you read this is the top one is the percent routine discharges by length of stay, meaning how, what percent of our patients do we discharge at that particular day? So by day one, we discharge 20% of our patients. The cohort discharges usually by day one, 60% of their patients. By day two, they're close to 80, almost 100%. It takes us almost six days to get to 80%, or not even 80%. So there's an opportunity here. What is different? What's causing that? And again, multiple factors, but it allows us to start shining the light, dig deeper and say, hey, what can we do differently? Next one talks about discharge to sniff. Same thing. When you look at that, by day two, we are at pretty much zero. The cohort is at 20%. By day five, the cohort is at 80. It takes us almost nine days, eight, nine days to get to nearly the same level. Again, huge opportunity for us. So this is the power of the tool. Are, are those also distinct part beds and the other uh, folks you're comparing yourself to? Distinct part sniffs? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't have that information. Okay. If they are not, I'm sure some are, some okay. may not be. But, uh, but irrespective, I mean, our ability to get into those facilities, I mean, again, we use yeah. distinct and we use non-distinct part sniffs here. So who's that, that difference? Are those at admin days? Yeah, good, thanks, sure. 
Right. Some of it could be. Absolutely. Okay. And again, like I said, there's multiple variables here. We, mm -hmm. you know, I, I share the data as raw data, sure. mm -hmm. saying that this is this requires further analysis. The intent is to say, yeah. hmm, yeah. why is this? It may be that they have other comorbidities. So part of this is I looked at a DRG. Well, yeah, but wouldn't those other comorbidities be considered in the community? Or I'm only looking at hip replacements. No, I know, but that green line is looking at the average length of stay and discharge rates for those other 71 hospitals that are in our group, right? Correct. So is it is it safe to assume that they have those same uh, you know challenges? Like some patients have these comorbidities, some don't, you know, approximately the same percentage. Well, and that's where that's where we would have to dig yeah. dig yeah. deeper yeah. to make sure yeah. that we're yeah. doing that comparison. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what the next table here. So let me share with you the next table here. So this next table. Now we get where we, we looked at, at the clinical database. Now we're transitioning into the service line analytics. Here on the top, this is a little bit hard to see. I was trying to fit a lot of information, but this is basically a drill down. It starts with the top screen. So the top portion of your of your screen, it says orthopedics. I've highlighted it in pink. When you click on that, it takes you into the second or the middle section where it's now going into so orthopedics is all of orthopedics then you click on it it takes you to the various types of orthopedic procedures that we perform and then when you click on a I clicked on hips then it takes you deeper into now we're just looking at hips and that's what you see in that bottom box okay okay what I want to highlight here is that when you look at at these these procedures and I can't see the screen <laughs> Maybe you, it's pretty rough. Even though it's not going to help. Right? Here we Here go. We help me. So when we look at this, I just want to guide your attention to yeah, the to the to the bottom table. When you look at that that dialog box that's open there, mm -hmm. when you look at this, it's telling us. So as a comparison, looking at everything as a whole, the service line analytics now allows us to break it down very specifically to these procedures. And when we look at reimbursements, we're looking at the total reimbursement for this. Uh, procedure. Our reimbursement is 18,065. When the comparison or the group, we should be at around 20. 21. Okay. Yeah, 21 by 50 bucks. Sir. 21. When you're looking at the variable cost, the variable cost is all of your ancillaries. Our variable costs are 18,000, almost 19,000. When we should be at 11. Wow. When you look at our contribution margin, is negative. When it technically should be positive. So what, what is driving some of that? When you look at length of stay, we're averaging 3.8, we should be at 2.5. Routine care, we're at 7.6, we should be at 2.4. Mm -hmm. When you look at critical care, we're doing well. When you're looking at hospital acquired conditions, we're doing very well, mm -hmm. which is great, great quality. But we're keeping people here much longer than what they need to be, and it's impacting the total cost. And our mortality is also very low. Our readmit rates. Readmission is a problem. So when you're looking at these, and we can do this for every single service line, and you have examples on, on the on the upper tables of all the different service lines, but you can see there's a whole lot of opportunity when you see all this red. It means that we have an opportunity to dig deeper, to work closely with our partners, with our physicians, with our physician leaders, with our staff, and say, hey, how can we look at making some improvements here? Then lastly, so, so if I could stop, I mean, do we have a culture where this is going to be accepted, or do we have to work on that? I think we have to. <laughs> I, I, no, I, I want to say that that um, we still need to continue to work on that. But well, we are well underway. Uh, over the last two years, 
Uh, we've been working very specifically using this operational database, looking at benchmarking specifically for managing our FDs and our resources. This clinical data, it's, it's taken us a lot longer because it's been much more complex for us to be able to validate and get all these data points connected. Uh, but we have been sharing some of this information. And here very recently, a lot of our, all of our providers, our, our chairs and, and service line leaders have been very engaged and very involved, specifically as we've been working on these contribution margin analysis that right. we've been doing for all of our services. And so there is that engagement, there is that focus, uh, and so we want to make sure that we continue to educate them, continue to share the tools, and make sure that we're digging in deeper to make sure that we're moving this along and moving forward, continuing the improvement process. That was a diplomatic answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, it's a work in progress, but we're going to keep revisiting that question. <laughs> yeah. But you're, you're going to keep digging deeper and deeper. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so some of it could be tied into people who have no place to be discharged to, or, or it could be, or people who get hip replacements that are homeless and they don't have good aftercare, or you know. Exactly. You know. I mean, those, those, there's all those different variables yeah. that we would continue to dig down, but at least. At least we now have, it's directional. Yeah. Now you we can know, hey, I've, I've got an opportunity here. Let me look at this. Yeah. So granted, right. the opportunity may not be $8,000, but if the opportunity is $5,000, I'll take it. I mean, but it, it allows us to have that type of, of discussion. Yeah. And to give it a more formal piece, like we are definitely, if you look at the phase, phasing of analytics, we are definitely right now in the, in the descriptive analytics phase, which is what is happening, right? Mm -hmm. to describe to us what's going on. And now mm -hmm. we're at all these questions, we're going to be moving into the diagnostic analytics phase. Why? Why is it happening? And so in terms of the evolution of such tools, <laughs> utilization, and kind of where we are, we are now moving into that space. And so we're all out, you know, so if we were to have a mile marker, we're in diagnostics, and that's going to be totally key for where we move forward with all these committees and all the other engagement. This is for every procedure, right? So our psych, mental health, that gets the same, has yeah, the right same. Yeah. Oh, you saw it on there? So behavioral health is right here. So oh, it is. You can oh, yeah. do a breakout. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we can do it for everything that we've entered or did, and we've done yeah. the comparisons. So, so again, this, these are extremely powerful <laughs> tools that we'll continue to drill down and get down to the granular level to ensure that we have, you know, the consistency and the, the support. When we're looking at some of these supplies uh, in, in, in the analytics, I didn't put it because, I, you know, I didn't want to keep the, make the presentation too long, but in the analytics, we can even drill down to when we're doing a comparison to say, this is, like the example I gave earlier, this is the cost of these five providers that do hip replacements. And Their cost is, is all over the place. And you're going to sit like, down why? with them. Exactly. Individually. Exactly. And like the good and the bad. I mean, not bad. Those who are doing great, those who have opportunities for improvement. Well, at this point, based on some of the data that I've seen here, some of our preliminary data, all of them have some improvement uh, mm -hmm. compared to the benchmark. And so even the best performer is almost double what the benchmark is. I just wanted to make sure I understood. So when we're looking at the supply chain or when you talk about like the comparison on the pricing, that's for like the actual, let's say, prosthesis, Correct. not the entire procedure, right? Correct. And so when then when we looked at the reimbursement versus the cost, that that reimbursement is for the whole procedure, which includes whatever the correct prosthetic thing is. Now, isn't when when we get reimbursed, isn't don't we get reimbursed for the cost of what we purchased typically? So I'm just wondering in terms of our effort to try to um, get the best value, are we? tracking also on like which things are we actually I know we, we're not going to get reimbursed for gloves right but we're going to get reimbursed for like a, a, a hip prosthesis let's say 
I'm just wondering, like, where are we connecting that piece? Well, that's where we have, and, and that's exactly the drill then that we would get into. And so we've looked at some of this. So I'll give you an example. Some of our implants, our, our contracts uh, vary. Some of them pay a percent of bill charges. Uh, some of them pay cost plus certain percent. Uh, and some of our current contracts, that's, you know, the, 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 the percent of bill charges is extremely low. So, for example, a, an implant, we get 35% of bill charges. If the implant costs $10,000, I've got to charge, you know, $50,000 to make a profit on it. Well, with price transparency and everything that's going on, I mean, how, that's not sustainable. Yeah. So in many of those cases, we're actually losing money. And so that's where we have to have, you know, have a conversation and start working closely with the health plan in, 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 in aggregate to look at not only that component, but everything else uh, that we have contracted with them. And so that's the work that we would do as we start continuing to drill down and look at some of these different areas. So like the doctor that spends more money isn't necessarily because they're choosing a more expensive prosthetic device. It could be that they're spending more time in the OR. It could be that they have more staff or Correct. so it's mm -hmm. all of those costs. Correct. Mm -hmm. It could be also the prosthetic though. Uh, okay. You know, you know, some of the providers. I mean, you have different types of prosthetics, you know, that you're using, and so they're the same vendor, but it's a different type of prosthetic. And so, are they? Are they using the, you know, the most expensive model versus the, you know, optimal model? And so, that's the kind of stuff that we're looking at. So, uh, and, and then lastly here, this is the operational database. I want to spend some time on this. We have, we have spent uh, yeah. the last two years uh, actually working since, since we went live. This was the first system that went live, and we've been using it, and it's part of the, the, the vehicle or the tool that we've used to help inform this past year's budget and this current year's budget uh, proposal. And so when you look at this, you, you know, it gives you an, an indication of, we have, we have some significant opportunities in many areas. When you look at total expenses for adjusted, uh, you know, for adjusted occupied bed or adjusted discharge, uh, adjusted for CMI, you're looking at 10,000 at Highland versus the 50th percentile is 7,000. So we're, 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 we're significantly over. Total labor uh, per discharge, again, 100% over. Uh, when you look at some of these areas, I mean, and some of these things are things that we have to consider. When you look at, for example, the uh, average hourly rate, we're pretty comparable. But when you look at the benefit expense, look at our benefits expense. Wow. And that contributes then to the total cost. <laughs> so when you look at overtime, overtime is, you know, average industry average is 3%. We're running at 6.97%. So we're working really hard in some of these areas, and that's some of the work that we've put into play, and we've put the processes uh, to, to help mitigate and manage some of these areas. Are you sharing this with our labor partners? Um, I have not shared this. I but, mean, uh, they've indicated they're interested in being part of the solution. That seems to be part of the problem. I mean, that benefit expense and overtime percent worked. Wow. Yep. That's just... 2.8% to 6.9% is tens of millions. I know. So there's an opportunity. And again, some of it is justified, 
right? Uh, we, we, you know, there is overtime. Uh, again, 3% is an average, and it can be achieved. We just got to work through it. Yeah, work together. Some of the things that contribute to that, though, I mean, I have to honestly say, I mean, our, our benefit structure somewhat contributes to that as well because we, are, we have such generous benefits, and people take a lot of time off and things of that nature, and so those types of things. Tony left the room. So those, those types of things contribute to the total cost because now you're incurring overtime, then your total paid hours goes up, then your total expense goes up, then all these things compound, and that's what you're seeing here. And so this is the baseline, and this is what we're using to continue to improve. Could you, um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm really stuck on this benefit. Yeah. Would you be able to drill down and determine Break what that $7,000 margin is for other hospitals? Like, where, where is that benefit? Is it the pension contribution? Is it the? It's, I don't think it's the health insurance cost. Is it PTO? Yeah. Is it? Like, can, can we get to that next level? Yeah. One of one of the, the things I was going to add earlier, the but so table? in response to your to your question directly, and also for everything else we've talked about, one of the added benefits with uh, Busian is then saying, when you get to the table to have this conversation, we also don't want to spend months trying to think of what are we going to do. Like, what's the best practice? What's the evidence based yeah. strategy? What are these other people doing that we're not doing? And so that's the other conversation then with, hey, the folks are on that top tier, we will have a contact with our peer peers to set up that call and figure out what are they doing now, get that information and let's move. So and that's been a benefit and opportunity that's not really reflected in the box score with Vizient, but something that we we leverage. So that's a deeper dive. You do. We leverage daily, but we, that's something we do want to know. So yeah. to, 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 your, to answer your question, what are they doing? What's that, what's that delta there that they're not doing that we are or vice versa? And so that's where we get that information. So it's um, uh, an, an added benefit, but um, one that you're spot on in terms of like what's going on? Like what 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 are we doing? And I'm also wondering if like that's 158 percent above the 50th percentile. What are other bay? I mean, we don't have another Bay Area comparison, do we? Like the closest I think was Santa Monica in our group. Arrowhead, Santa, uh, Arrowhead, Santa Monica, and uh, Riverside, yeah. These are similar markets. I mean, well, I, you know, from my experience as a, as a uh, having programs in those counties, the salaries are substantially less than up here. Right. Yeah. But this is benefit, not salary. Yeah, yeah. This is... Yeah, that's the one that's driving me to. Cause our salaries not, isn't, isn't off that much. Our, our salary is only plus 5%. Mm -hmm. But the, um, the benefit... 158% over the 50 percentile. That's just... Well, but this is where the, the, the indicator here, when you look at, so the tie between all these, right? So when you look at the benefits, so look at the, the line that says hours worked as a percent of hours paid. I was just looking at that. The hours worked is only 84% when the benchmark is 90. Mm -hmm. Meaning that we have, we're paying tons of hours of unproductive time. Yeah. Again, that's largely connected to the very rich benefits that we have. So that, that would be a PTO. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how all that links together. So again, these are, I mean, again, very, very powerful tools and resources that help guide the work that we're doing, the, you know, the, the efforts that we're putting forward, what the managers are leading and what's informing, uh, you know, the decisions that, that we've made to move forward with a, mm -hmm. a budget for, for the coming year and beyond. So if I could do a time check right now, how exactly. much more do you have on? That's it. So I think the question, uh, many questions, this is really interesting and important. And I think it gets, if I'm right, it gets at some of the questions I've heard from other trustees, questions I've had about efficiencies, about revenue collection, about where our expenses are. Uh, when I look at benefit, 
the benefit line in our budget, I'm sort of taken back. Um, so it sort of confirms some of that. Um, what? How can we use this at the trustee level? I mean, the, the, the Board of Trustees act really as, a, you know, we have a couple of roles, but one of them, one of the roles is that we're the public, you know, this is where transparency can happen for internal and external uh, stakeholders. So it seems to me that this information um, could really be a value on a sort of a, on a meta level, right? Um, so I'm just wondering if you've thought about that yet, or is this, are we early on in the process? Uh, is this something that, um, it also quite frankly seems to fit uh, with Trustee Bouquet's point about uh, quality and uh, finances. It seems like we can maybe look at some dashboard reporting that uh, this is producing, uh, help, would help produce that we could use in QPC and, and finance. Have you thought about that? Sir, no, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. That, that's, that is the goal. That, that was the reason for, for the investment. And so, as, as, as you've seen, it's taken us some time to get to this point, and we still haven't completed that. Uh, you know, once we go live with Epic, we'll be able to get all of our systems up and running and all of our sites up and running. Uh, but that is the intent. I mean, we'll have this at our disposal. We'll, I mean, we are happy to provide whatever information. Well, another way to say it is that, and I see that you've done quite a bit of work on the ground to really implement this. You, I, I hear that you have more to do. But it feels to me as if there's an opportunity to also do that at the level at the governance body. Is sure. That, and, and do that with the public being able to get a, an eye into this. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm asking the question for all of us, but I'm putting you on the spot right now. Yeah. It seems to me we ought to start working on getting this in a report form format that, that can be at the dashboard level, uh, go into uh, committee reports, full board, board reports. I actually want this presentation at the full board, at our next full board meeting. I do not, yeah, right. I, I want everyone else to see this. Um, now whether we do it more extended at the retreat or if we just do it, either way, Thursday night or Friday morning, I don't care. This well, is going on the agenda. Uh, and, and Well, President, I mean, one suggestion would be to uh, have some conversation at the retreat to get at the question I'm asking, which is how can we utilize this yeah. um, at the, right? What so decisions do we make based on this information? And get input from staff and, and have some input from the trustees about doing that. Yeah, no, I see, I, this is, uh, and you know, it's Powerful. interesting, there was some, uh, criticism after the fact about uh, going with Vizian. I recall from some people that left our organization. And now I'm like, wow, like, this, is, this is great. And I know that you've just been operation, operationalizing this over the past, what, not even 18 months, like 16, like. Correct. It's only, you've only, we've only had it since what, last February? Correct. So you're just you've gotten the data. You haven't and you have a chance to necessarily fully act on it yet. And once Epic's up and running, you need to really be able to act at the provider level. Correct. So we've been able to leverage the operational database, which is driving a lot of our staffing productivity. Mm -hmm. And we've been using that, and we've seen some improvements yeah. year over year. Uh, but the rest of the tools, I mean, the power of these tools is phenomenal. And so we are now just starting to really get at this type of, of information and being able to use it in a way that's impactful. 
so uh, I, I do believe, uh, Trustee DeBreeze, that uh, I, I do believe that at, in the retreat there are a few areas of discussion where this may, may, may fit in, uh, maybe a better place probably than, than the board meeting itself. Yeah, no, for sure. Okay. Yeah, because I think there's kind of a long time for a dialogue about yeah. how to get there. And, uh, and, and then I, and I, I like your, your suggestion, uh, Trustee Shaquin, that, uh, you know, maybe getting some guidance on what we would like to see and how, because, I mean, again, we can, we can pull right. any reports. I also want to make sure that we, you know, we, we provide you with a True North metric dashboard that, that, that mm -hmm. you know, you all approve as far as all the different pillars. Uh, this could be another supplement that we could do on a, you know, different cadence or something. But, again, we can have that dialogue and see. But, again, the intent here is to have this information. We act on this information and we use it uh, to, to partner with our staff and our providers to continue to, you know, continuous improvement. That's the yeah. goal. I, and just one, one last, um, you know, thought. In terms of the chart-related discharges, you know, it, it, this sort of, to me, begs for a culture, a quality culture where we're in dialogue about these things because I could easily see a, a, a rich conversation about the general throughput discharge issues that we have in this organization and that this is that it shows up in the hip replacement conversation but it actually maybe maybe what we find when we start talking about this is a lot of this is about the incredible acuity uh, the comorbidity the other the incredible challenges a lot of our uh, uh, patients have and just the, the conversation in that about recognizing the uh, elements that are outside the practitioner's control yeah. being part of this conversation can lead to maybe some constructive uh, problem yeah. solving. Absolutely, and, and, and I agree. And I would say that that is just a piece of it. Uh, you know, right. my mm -hmm. focus would be on let's 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 address those areas you have in your control. Right. And there's exactly. Plenty, and I'm not plenty of those. And I'm not uh, saying what I just said yeah. to as a way to bypass responsibility. Right. This is the, the power of this is accountability. Absolutely. Frankly. Yeah. I but wish I, also, I had this in my organization. <laughs> right. No, this is good stuff. I, I think there's all. I think we also just want to be careful that we're making as deep of connections as we can between this yeah. level of data and what's going on on the front line. The readmission is a really powerful indicator that we should be looking at, but right. it's hard to trace that. I mean, it actually has more to do with factors in the community, oftentimes. Right. Um, and sort of discharge planning and maybe some of that support infrastructure that we have than it does even necessarily on the physician. And so just making sure that we're making kind of like the right correlations or where we can do um, deeper dives. I think the other example I was thinking about was like can we correlate our higher benefit, um, you know, benefit line item to a better retention rate or lower turnover rate of staff. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't know, but I mean, it always strikes me when we have speakers that say, I've worked yeah. here for 30 years, 20 years, we hear that a lot. I don't know what the numbers look like across the board, but um, all that being said, just, you know, that I think this level of analytics is important, but I want to make sure that we're making the right correlations mm -hmm. um, when we get down to it. And, and that's the importance, and I think to Baljeet's point, right, that's, that's where we have the data now we can start really asking the questions why and let's understand what are the, the all the multiple variables that contribute to that mm -hmm. you know but when you're looking at this I mean again it is directional and when you look at it and you say okay I've got two <coughs> providers doing the same exact procedures on the same exact population and one of them has a you know a length of stay of this 5.75 and the other one has a length of stay of 11 
why? And so it's just asking those questions. And so that's the intent here, and that's where I think we have some opportunities. And that's what we want to do with this. A again, truly emphasizing this is not intended to be punitive. It's really all in the spirit of continuous process improvement and improved quality. Do we discuss the 30-day readmission rate more deeply at QPSC or? We do. Okay. Because I think, I mean, that's something that we actually may get dinged on as well. So and it is part of our True North metric dashboard. Yeah. It is a key indicator for us as an organization. Okay. All cost readmission. Under, under the Affordable Care Act. Right. Correct. It's the real. Yeah. It's part of the waiver. It's part of everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So I'm going to uh, move us on. The well, chair of the last committee meeting ended the meeting on time. Mm -hmm. So I feel under pressure to try to get us to the same place. <laughs> I, I, I thank you guys for the opportunity to present this because I, I, really I think it's extremely it. important to, to, to draw that connection and to give you a sense of uh, to be honest. Uh, initially, I was wondering why you were so excited, and then I then I got excited and figured it out. So <laughs> this is really um, you know uh, having this sort of data can really be transformational. Yeah. It's exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so the next item is an update on uh, the budget preparation for. FY20, I want to say a couple words as chair, take that prerogative, and then hand it over to uh, Mr. Fonseca. Uh, just a reminder, the, the Board of Trustees, uh, in uh, consideration of a very uh, unfortunate budget option, set of budget options, decided to, um, along with the Board of Supervisors, try to find, uh, in partnership, some solutions to cuts to essential services and uh, we felt it was necessary to delay acceptance of the budget to do that. So we are in that period of time uh, where we're uh, having a conversation. A uh, group of us are meeting on a regular basis with a couple of supervisors uh, and uh, having a constructive conversation. I also want to announce that uh, several of the Board of uh, several uh, trustees uh, per the last um, board meeting have uh, been working on a scope of work to uh, uh, hire a financial consultant uh, to look at uh, sort of the where the numbers that are currently uh, being assumed in our budget and uh, projections as well as and probably more importantly I think uh, as we've talked about it more importantly mm -hmm. looking at uh, issues uh, Longer, that are more relevant financially longer term. Uh, revenue collection, uh, the uh, question of the permanent agreement, uh, the way this system is structured um, in this county, uh, and uh, you know ways to get at uh, more efficiency and more effectiveness. So, so there's sort of a short term and a long term element to that retention. We've uh, put together a draft of uh, scope of work. Um, we're working with staff to put that in the format that the uh, system uses, so we're consistent uh, with that. And then we'll call up uh, uh, Supervisor uh, Valet had a recommendation of uh, one potential um, consultant that we could use, and there are others that have uh, come forth. Um, matter of fact, uh, Trustee Jensen is working on developing a list of folks to reach out to to respond to or call for uh, proposals. So we should have that. Um, I, I'm thinking we don't want to go too fast. In the next couple of weeks, uh, three weeks, we should have progress on that, be able to report back. 
Mr. Fonseca, do you want to? Thank you. I, I, all I want to say is, again, consistent with the direction uh, that was provided at, at our board meeting, uh, you know, we did start the new fiscal year and we needed to provide our teams and our staff with direction on how to continue to move forward and operate uh, the organization. As we continue to advance our, you know, our strategic plan, advance our day-to-day -day operations, consistent with some of the uh, targets that we had established and we had shared with our board. Uh, we've established a schedule and a timeline that's you know, working in parallel to some of the great work and the discussions that are happening at a higher level. And so just to give you an update, uh, the week of July 8th, uh, this, this, this week, uh, we have been providing all of our leaders with information consistent with what was discussed and shared during the budget preparation process. And so how we're looking at, these were some of the things that we had submitted that we were looking at addressing and moving forward. But again, all focused on continuing to leverage the tools, continuing to leverage the benchmarking, and really right-sizing the organization and making sure that we're taking the necessary steps to improve our overall care delivery. Not necessarily budget-driven, but what really needs to happen as an organization to continue to deliver efficient and safe care. And so this week we're providing them with all the information. Uh, the week of the 15th, uh, our plan is to uh, have these leaders meet with their HR business partner and the finance business partner to make sure that they're looking at all the different aspects related to those initiatives and ideas that they have submitted and they have put together to move forward within their departments and divisions. And in the week of the 22nd, uh, our plan is to get come together and have these different uh, leaders present to the Budget Oversight Committee. Uh, at which point we'll then have a better sense of exactly where we're at, how we're progressing, how we're moving forward, and what the impact is of some of these uh, adjustments. And so that work is ongoing. It'll happen over the next three weeks. Uh, again, our intent is to continue to advance uh, the, the work effort and what needs to happen to continue to provide uh, safe operations in the organization. Great. Well, I just... Uh, yes. <clears throat> That, in, that includes, uh, when you say right-sizing, I just want people to know that that means there are some positions that are being eliminated right now for efficiency's sake. I know we learned at the HR committee yesterday that, um, that there's a deep conversation with, with labor to make sure that people are, are who can be, are, they're finding other, other vacancies in the organization where, where people are qualified. They're, they're, so there's some moving around, and there's some, there's, there's, so the, the cost-cutting measures you know, minus closing or, or ending any service lines are, are happening. Um, the wage fees, things like that, that's, that's, that's all in motion. So yes, um, right. without, without going into great detail, I just want to make sure people understand that that's, okay. that's happening. I, I, thank you, because I was going to go back to that. And in, in uh, the last conversation we, we had with the Board of Supervisors, there was a specific reference to continuing that work. Yeah, yeah. And there was a recognition by everyone in the room that that uh, would continue to happen while we're working on the uh, big goon, if you will, right, to, to trying to avoid uh, those uh, cuts to essential services. Right. And I think to your point, you know, as Del Vecchio, I think, has mentioned in multiple meetings, you know, the budget is a tool that guides what we do. And so, again, this, this work that we just reviewed today, the operational database, the benchmarking efforts, the, the table that we just saw, clearly shows that we have some opportunities to continue to really tighten up our operations to gain, you know, to garner, you know, greater efficiencies while still providing high quality care. And so that's the work that's happening to your point. And yes, absolutely, some of these other uh, suggestions or ideas or proposals that were put forward and were baked into the proposed plan, such as the wage freezes and things of that nature, those things are moving forward as well. Yep. Okay, any, any uh, questions regarding budget? Mm -hmm. um, 
Item C, contract approval action item. It's just a report on where we are with uh, the uh, vendor spend. Any questions regarding that report? Mm -hmm. And then uh, item D, uh, again, you know, I think the whole idea of looking at revenue collection is maturing. It's going to get developed in the scope of work for the consultants going to report back to the Board of Trustees. I suspect it's going to come up in the board retreat. And I would, I would just say that we should, uh, since the budget and, and uh, finance is going to be a big part of that retreat, I would just suggest that committee members look for opportunities to find uh, issues for the coming year to uh, task staff to look at because uh, we don't want them to rest ever. Uh, <laughs> well, so, I should warn you, we're, we're probably not going to rest in, in August. Either. Yeah, apparently we're not going to rest either, so that's a, a theme. Uh, expect, expect meetings in August. Exactly. Okay. Um, I'll take a motion to close. So moved. Second. All those in favor? Aye. We're closed. Thank you.